Good morning, church. Whether it was Benjamin Franklin or someone else who said there's only two certainties in life, death or taxes, we're going to add another one and you already know what it is. It's transitions, right? So Judy and, and Miriam have already alluded to geographical transitions, and they have played a major part in Loretta and I's life of 50 years of marriage. And Judy, I assure you, we are not in competition with you. We moved 16 times, but it's not a prize to gain, it's just what happened. Nothing to, nothing to attain. But just a little context about those moves. Five or six of those moves were what we could fit into our car or pickup truck and with everything we had and go somewhere. Four or five maybe were more traditional, get a U-Haul, pack it up and drive a distance. And the others were moves within our community. We didn't travel very far, and perhaps some of those were car loads and pickup loads. So in our early years of marriage, in the mid-70s, actually 1974, Loretta and I moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Sarasota, Florida, where Loretta is a nurse at Sarasota Memorial Hospital and I as a teacher and coach at Sarasota Christian School, and we were there four years. We quickly became members of Bayshore Mennonite Church, and I have briefly alluded to this experience a few weeks ago. We became part of a beloved small group of young married and single adults, many of them like us who had moved into the community, and our pastor and church leaders had deliberately set up this Sunday school class to get us gathered together. And so they did, and so we did every Wednesday night as a small group. And we sang, we prayed, we reflected on the Bible, but mostly we shared life with each other even as newborn children were added. And this is what I shared earlier. We thought this was the ultimate small group experience. It could never get any better. Until we moved to Ohio, but more on that later. As I looked at the lectionary text in Matthew 11, reading the chapters before and after, I began to notice a literary transition. In other words, Matthew's style of writing and what he's paying attention to. Before chapter 11, we, we read a lot about miracles and healings and the Sermon on the Mount. And we see this shift from that to chapter 13 where there are parables. So there's about half of the gospel before any parables are mentioned. So it's just a bit of a literary transition, nothing earth-shaking, but it's chapters 11 and 12 that kind of give us the, the, the um, maybe the reason or the focus of the transition. So in, in John 11, the tide of public opinion is rapidly shifting from the oohs and ahs, from the miracles and healings, to a rise in opposition to Jesus and John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist is arrested, thrown in prison by the puppet governor of Galilee whose strings are pulled by the Roman occupiers. Even John raises doubts about the authenticity of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. 
he's uncertain about Jesus' ministry and sends this message to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or is it someone else? How would you receive something like that from a trusted colleague? How would it feel? I believe Jesus feels the pain and loss due to John's imprisonment and later death in chapter 12. I believe he feels the rejection of people and he begins to lament how people misunderstood him and John. And Jesus' response to all this shows that transition can be difficult. So there's this fascinating little parable, oops, there is a parable here, that, that was read in verse 16 and 17. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We wailed, you did not mourn. What do you make of that? Richard Gardner in the Believer's Church Commentary of Matthew, of Matthew likens it to children trying to play, trying to get a game going in the marketplace, but nobody will join in. They won't. They, they said, we have other things to do. We're too busy. They can't agree what game to play. Jesus compares these imaginary children to his current generation, to whom he and John invited to join the game, and he laments, my words, we tried to get you to join us. And then verses 18 and 19, responding and recalling the people's response to Jesus and John. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he must have a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look, he's a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So in a nutshell, Jesus says to these people, you were looking for wisdom from John in all the wrong places. From the clothing he wore, the diet he kept, or his preaching style. And I tell you, none is greater than John. But you missed the boat of wisdom, demonizing appearances over wisdom. And then I love this little byline. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, implying not just words. So we know about transitions, don't we? We live with them all the time, from the end of school to the beginning of school, changing jobs, moving to a new home, losing a husband or a wife, end of life issues, the transition that women experience in the childbirth process. Here at East Chestnut, we, we often say we transition from first hour to second hour. I mean, we could go on and on, which would be pointless. But what about you? What are your transitions you're living with right now? Or maybe you're looking toward or looking back and thinking about them. Some of them are your choice, right? And others are because circumstances have been thrown at you out of your control. Whatever they may be, Jesus offers in 25 to 30, that is chapter 11, 25 to 30, what I would say are two layers of wisdom 
for transitions. The first is be childlike. Be childlike in the sense of trusting God's wisdom. And this prayer of thanks, which I find some irony in it, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. That's some irony there. Because what Jesus really means is, you're not as wise as you think you are, just because you're intelligent. And yet you have revealed them to infants, Jesus continues. So in transition, we are encouraged to let go and become dependent on God's wisdom like young children who are often, not always, but often ready to do most anything their parents suggest. So back to our Ohio move to West Liberty, Ohio in 1978. I shared a few weeks ago with Phyllis interviewing me about small groups that we tried very, very hard to recreate that same group that we had in Florida. Different people, of course. And of course, I've already said it didn't happen. But when we let go of our intelligence or wisdom about small groups and what they should be, guess what happened? New possibilities emerged, right? But only after we kind of let go of the old idea. God showed us how to grow in wisdom and relationship far beyond that first group in Florida. And now, 45 years later, some of our nearest and dearest friends are from where? From Ohio, where we found other groups to relate to. So be childlike and trusting in God's wisdom. Secondly, the text calls us to experience the yoke of Jesus. Now, I wonder if any of you here have experienced or watched an actual team of horses or oxen using a yoke, other than watching Little House in the Prairie. Has anybody actually seen that? I, mean, I haven't. A couple hands are raised. All right. So we've already been told that it's, it's a way to carry loads where the yoke is spread across at least two oxen and the, the wagon or the carriage is tied to the, to the yoke in some fashion, and it's pulled, and it's a heavy thing to, for, the, for the animals. What we notice about the yoke of Jesus in this text is that it is a teaching instrument. Teaching just like a young oxen or horse that is paired with an experienced one. Or in the Amish practice, a young mule or horse paired with experienced ones. In the same way, Jesus is offering one of, to us that trains us and gives us teaching about wisdom. I mean, truth is, transitions can be wearisome and feel like heavy burdens, or sometimes they can be freeing. Secondly, consider the yoke of the Roman Empire, which I think is a direct takeoff of Jesus using this yoke image. The Roman Empire required people in Palestine, if whatever, they, whatever time or whenever, to, so for someone to carry a soldier's gear a mile. It's a lot of heavy stuff to carry. They could confiscate your property 
And this Roman yoke is based on intimidation, oppression, and fear. Which makes me wonder how people today who are living under those same yokes of oppression and fear, how they read this text, how they receive it, and what they do with it. Thirdly, there is the, what I call the easy yoke of Jesus. When Jesus invites his listeners to a different kind of yoke, we can be sure they were aware of that Roman yoke. So come to me, all you who are weary and carrying burdens, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In doing so, Jesus offers solidarity with us, for he too is carrying yokes from oppression. So in 1986, we moved from Ohio to Harrisonburg, Virginia for seminary training. In 1989, and by the way, that was an adventure for all of us. The children were, I'm not sure, second and fifth grade, and they were all into it. We have new things to do and be closer to grandma and grandpa in Pennsylvania. And it truly was an adventure. Three years later, moving to western Pennsylvania, it was anything but an adventure for the children. Davidsville, Somerset County was our destination. It was a burden to our then 13 and 11 year old children. The first day to a new school, I think we were all in tears. And we said to them, if this doesn't work out, we promise to stay here in Davidsville until you graduate from high school. I didn't think about it then, but I think what we were doing was offering an easier yoke to them. Because moving twice in three years at that age is not fun. We needed to lighten their burden. Furthermore, there is what we call the yoke of solidarity. I've already briefly mentioned that. And that's what Jesus offers. You've already noticed that the yoke of solidarity does not mean the removal of life burdens, but it creates solidarity with us as we carry the burdens. And when Jesus offers a yoke that is easy, he's not offering easy answers. Rather, he's offering that word, solidarity with us. And Richard Rohr comments a bit on solidarity and suffering. And I quote, If God is somehow participating in human suffering. Instead of just passively tolerating it or observing it, that changes everything. At least for those who are willing to contemplate it. I continue. We can't do it alone at all, but only by a deep, deep identification with the crucified one and with suffering humanity. Jesus then does it in us, through us, with us, and for us. Then we have become a new creation and a very different kind of human being. And he finishes, I think the acceptance of that invitation to solidarity with the larger pain of the world is what it means to be a Christian. Remember, 
Jesus offers a yoke in life, not as punishment or retribution, rather one that offers wisdom and learning and solidarity. And finally, Jesus' yoke offers release. Loretta and I are returning home to our Somerset County residence from Mount Joy at the end of a sabbatical with clinical pastor education at Penn State Hershey Medical and some family travel. And by the way, speaking of pastors returning, sometimes, sometimes it's a bit weird to come back into that saddle leadership when you've been away for a bit because you've been free to do this and that. Todd's nodding his head. Yeah, so that's how it was with me too. We were driving three hours back from Lancaster, Mount Joy area. But we turn onto 126 Kaufman Church Road. At the end of the road, it's about 5.30 in the evening at the end of January. There's this big ball of red, yellow sun resting on the end of the road. Of course, not literally, but it seemed that way. It was there. And for me, seeing that one-fourth mile away, it was a welcome home sign of God with us. The yoke of returning seemed so much lighter after seeing God's light on the road, releasing me to play the game again. And after all, that's all Jesus wants from us. Jesus simply wants us to play the game that he is offering. So what do you say? Let's play the game of solidarity with Jesus and with humanity. Amen.